Chapter 15 of Intimate Talks with Movie Stars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by L. D. Hamilton. Intimate Talks with Movie Stars by Edward Weitzel. Chapter 15. Mary Pickford is willing to admit she did not see the funny side of the joke herself. A family affair, I would call it, the Fairbankses being the family in the case, and the affair, the friendly chat I had with them just before they sailed for Europe. I dropped in on them on a busy day, but I didn't apologize. Every other day was quite as busy for them, generally more so. I was at the opening in New York of The Three Musketeers, and heard the star of the picture when he stood up and implored the men and women who crowded the aisle in front of his box to return to their seats, so that the entertainment could start. A living close-up of Douglas and his home-grown mustache was a powerful magnet for any crowd, and he was flanked on the left by no less a celebrity than Charles Chaplin also of the movies, immaculately garbed and effectually disguised, by reason of having left his familiar lip decoration on his make-up shelf. But neither Doug nor Charlie was the chief cause of the demonstration, and they knew it, and were proud and happy to have it that way. Mary Pickford sat at Douglas Fairbanks' right. It was she the crowd wanted to see at close range, it milled up and down the aisle and voiced its admiration with an enthusiastic frankness that must have sounded like sweet music to the head of the house of Fairbanks. At the Ritz it was Mrs. Fairbanks I went to see, but it was her husband whom I saw first. The sound of several voices and animated discussion floated along the hall that ran through the center of the suite, while I sat in a reception room and waited for the lady to appear, as the mid-Victorian novelists used to put it. Presently there was a quick step along the hall. I rose expectantly and moved forward. Douglas D'Artagnan Fairbanks walked into the room, made a characteristic lurch for a telephone on the opposite wall, and called for a number. I sat down again and kept as still as a mouse. At the end of three seconds, Mr. Fairbanks turned and saw me. He smiled a greeting, and we chatted of the opening of The Three Musketeers, while he held the receiver to his ear. In the middle of telling of the next swashbuckling gentleman he intends to animate for the screen, he broke off to give some instructions to the person at the other end of the telephone. He then excused himself and hurried back to the family conference. While I was trying to guess what name Mr. Fairbanks intended to mention when the phone cut him off, more footsteps came along the hall. But I did not hear them. As a consequence, Mary Pickford was standing in front of me and holding out her hand before I could get to my feet. And, of course, she smiled, and the glow of it performed its usual quick magic. If I had never seen nor heard of her before, I should have known instantly why she is, well, 
why she is Mary Pickford. We shook hands. Then she sat in front of me on a low divan, and talked of the making of little Lord Fauntleroy. I could visualize her as Cedric Errol. She looked so slight and trim, but as dearest his mother. I glanced at her again, and couldn't for the life of me see how, even with all the tricks of the trade at her disposal, she was going to make the grade. Tell me about Fauntleroy. Did it give you any good laughs while you were working on it? was my first leader. Mrs. Douglas Fairbanks looked very serious and thoughtful. I don't remember any, but I'll ask Douglas, she said. But something of an amusing nature must have happened, I protested. Again, Mrs. Douglas Fairbanks gave the matter serious consideration, and admitted I was right. I didn't see the funny side of it myself, she explained. In fact, it gave me a regular stage fright, but Douglas and Brother Jack had a good laugh over it. What did you do? Put on Dearest's wig when you were dressed for little Lord Fauntleroy? Or was it the other way about? No, it wasn't anything like that. You know, just here, the telephone rang. Mary Pickford Fairbanks walked over and took down the receiver, and I got an insight into a side of her character that neither I nor her millions of admirers have ever suspected. The phone conversation was of a business nature, and the little woman at the Pickford end of the wire was strictly business. Her chief cameraman had called her up to get instructions about how to deal with a certain matter and when Miss Pickford finished her orders, he knew exactly what to say to the person under discussion. His employer was perfectly calm and considerate as she gave her orders, gracious almost, but firm. She didn't say anything about consulting anyone, but settled the matter right off the reel. I also got the impression that it was a habit of hers to do this, and I was sure of it from the way she told her husband what she had done when he came into the room for a moment. After his D'Artagnan Fairbanks walk had carried Doug back into the family consulting room, Mary Pickford came over to the divan, and I was told the amusing incident that wasn't funny to her. It was decided that the cast for Little Lord Fauntleroy should all be six-footers, both men and women, explained the hero-heroine of the Frances Hodgson Burnett story. I was to play an eight-year-old boy part of the time, you know, and it wasn't the easiest thing in the world for me to look it. This was said soberly, but demurely, and so all of your actors came high, in inches at least, I put in. Yes, she replied and made me look small by contrast. Even the Earl of Dorincourt's big dog did that. Did you get a crick in your neck from looking up at them at rehearsals? No, but they got my nerve one day after the picture was well started. I'd been too busy to think about it before, and had helped Mr. Green and Brother Jack with the direction, just as I have always done. But that morning, when I walked into my grandfather's banquet hall and found myself surrounded by his solemn-faced servants, I felt like Jack the Giant Killer in the Giant's Castle. What did you do? 
look around for the hen that laid the golden eggs? The girl who played the boy who made the combination of curls, lace collar, and silk sash popular for young gentlemen of eight, and thereby filled with anguish the souls of many snub-nosed, freckle-faced youngsters whose fond mammas were determined to make little Lord Fauntleroy's out of their own little darlings in spite of any bodily handicap, shook her head. No, but it struck me for the first time that they must be secretly amused at being ordered about by such a physically inferior person as myself. For the moment the thought got my nerve, and I had to pull myself together before I could steady my voice and tell Jack and Mr. Green what I thought should be done to improve the scene. It was all very serious to me, but of course I only got laughed at when I told Jack and Douglas how I felt. You will pardon me, then, if I indulge in a grin at your expense myself? Oh, yes. Everyone laughs at me when they hear the story. There was another interruption by telephone, and Sister Mary was immediately deep in a discussion over the screen rights of a stage success for Brother Jack. Mr. Fairbanks breezed in as his wife was hanging up the receiver, and I decided that I had come to the place marked Exit for me. "'I'm afraid you haven't found me a very clever talker,' said Mary Pickford, as she gave me her hand. "'Everything you have said and done has interested me immensely,' I replied. Unexpected revelation of character is always engrossing, and it was evident that Mary Pickford has plenty of character of the most unexpected type. End of chapter 15 Recording by L. D. Hamilton